Hi everybody, welcome to the Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry podcast with me, Philip Heidson, and Darren McAnthony, chairman and co-owner of English Championship side, Peterborough United. And I think we've traded spaces this week. <laughs> Darren, you're back in the States, I'm back in the UK. Yeah, finally home after 60 days away. So it was, uh, yeah, it was great. I, I flew to New York, met the missus. You know, I hadn't drank for two months, I fucked for two months, I hadn't done any of the good things in life. So I made up for lost time, took a suite <laughs> in the plaza in Central Park, stayed in there for a few days, went out to the tennis occasionally at nighttime to watch a few events at, our, at uh, Flushing Meadows. Yeah, it was really, really good, really good. And then back home on Sunday to the kids. And uh, yeah, just a, a dream weekend, to be fair. These are the perks of when you're in the championship, when you know you have international breaks. So you actually get a bit of family time where you're not obsessed about like results of the weekend. So I didn't even know about international football. I had no intention of watching any football this weekend. It was just kind of completely get away from it. And then soberly, I'm woken today with stuff from Barry about injuries or issues or whatever, you know, like updates. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, football's back in a few days. Yeah. So, yeah. But no, it was all good. You know, it was it. To be fair, I needed that because, you know, by the time deadline came around, and I was just like, the day after that, I was burnt out. I was kind of like, oof. It's been a heavy couple of months. Not in a bad way, in a good way, but the work catches up in you. When, when I'm in the UK and my family aren't with me, you're coming home to an empty house every day. So it does get a little bit mentally exhausting. So I, I, I was, once deadline had passed, I couldn't wait to get in the old airplane and, and get the fuck out of Dodge and get home. So uh, yeah, happy to be home. Is being away from your, your kids and your family the hardest thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having to go backwards to the, to the UK and backwards and forwards and being uh, a remote chairman, I guess. The whole COVID thing's fucked it up because they would come over in the summer with me for July and August and, you know, go home the last two weeks. Well, they'd go home like to the first week of August to yeah, for school. get back into school. So I'd spend three, four weeks without them. But the last two summers, they haven't made it over because of all the rules and this, that, whatever. And, you know, Natalie just felt, look, let's just stay in America with all that drama going on and, and you know, of, of paperwork and tests. And so to be fair, I'll, I'll be really honest, it's been, it's been hard. And it's like, you know, if that carries on. I, I'm not sure how much longer I can own a football club and do it. If, if I'm really honest, you know what I mean? Because I'm just like, it's so much time away. Uh, and my kids are now like 15, 14, 12. You know, two of them are in high school. You know, college is coming up in a few years and you start the process now. So, you know, to commit two months away at a time, never mind a month away at a time, yeah, it's a lot. Um, so that that's great on my mind a lot at the moment. So I'm hoping, you know, by the turn of Christmas in 2022, you know, we can really start moving past this, you know what I mean? And, and, and stop being obsessed with locking up fucking countries, restrictions, rules, red lists. And, you know, I saw a journalist last night talking about the Brazil and Argentina game. And I think his comment was, we must respect the red lists. And I'm like, no, fuck the red lists. You know, we were told, you know, the vaccines will come. Everything would then stop, you know what I mean? And, you know, why the fuck are the red lists? I still can't get my head around healthy footballers who go away or come back. Uh, you know, no one's dying of COVID that plays football, and they haven't since since it all started. And for those of you screaming right now, but what about those they infect? Well, no, again, I go back to those they can infect can go get a vaccination. And that has shown, even though you can still get COVID, you're less likely to fucking die, and you're less likely to have a bad outcome. So, you, you know, this red list, I, I just want it all to end now, because now we're all vaccinated, we all have a choice to do it. So enough of the red list, enough of the red tape, the bureaucracy and the shite. It's just exhausting, Phil. 
and uh, you, you, you know it's it's affecting so many people and, and yeah horrible yeah you know you don't know what test to take like we just came over the weekend and it, it takes a phd to figure out what tests you need to take when you need to take them which apps you got to upload everything to I, i'm lucky because i've been through this for like 18 months and i said to you, i'm up to my 67th covid test now i've done you know since i've traveled and uh I'm, I'm an expert now going back at the throat nostrils without touching the tongue and doing it all correctly and even though I do the instant test, I'm fucking listen. I'm like a doctor at this shift, but I've done so many of them now. Um, as for the paperwork, again, easy peasy. I have so much. I've got a whole COVID folder and Dropbox from every test I've taken. Flew to New York this weekend. I had to have a vaccine passport, so I couldn't take my kids because that fucking numb nuts who runs New York, uh, one of your blues, um, has brought in a vaccine passport. So my children couldn't go to the tennis, couldn't go to a restaurant, can't go to a, a hotel because again. You know, they're so desperate to get 12-year-olds to get a fucking vaccine they don't fucking need. It's mad. So I'm, I'm, I'm just praying and hoping. It's coming out in England. It's worrying me because I don't know how I'm going to get into a football game because right. my vaccine isn't an NHS vaccine. Mine's Johnson & Johnson. So, you know, I'm going to face with, if we're away at Derby County, Sheffield United, big club with 20,000-plus crowd, they won't let me in because even though my vaccine is a good vaccine, it's not an, on the NHS app. So how am I going to get in? It's it's like, <sighs> you know, I was talking to you before we started recording, you know, we were going to go to the England game against Andorra at the weekend, but we couldn't because even though, you know, we've got the, we've been vaccinated, we don't have, it's not in the NHS app. So because it's not in the NHS app, that's all you needed. You had to be able to show that to get into the game. Yeah, these numbnuts have, have come up with these rules and decided to strike off the rest of the world population outside of the UK from these rules. So that's great for business for like the United Kingdom. Um, but again, if I can't go to away games, what's the point in owning a football club? Um, so, yeah, all very bizarre, to be fair, pal. But I guess this is the twilight zone we've been living in for a long period of time. So, uh, yeah, it's what it is. But look, it was. Uh, did you have a good end of deadline? Did Bradford sign a couple of players? Um, we brought in one striker. You know, I think that some injuries have forced our hand in terms of where we wanted to look. So we ended up bringing in uh, Theo Robinson at the end of deadline day. Um, that was pretty much the business that we, we ended up doing. So we'll see if that's enough. But I'm sure any League 2 team feels the same. You know, you're a couple of injuries away. Ryan, from- Ryan reached out to me on, on the night before deadline. He did message me, Ryan, and say, oh, you know, have you got a striker? He can loan us. And obviously, no, because we were we strikers injured and we had issues. And even our young ones, you know, were like injured or back up or whatever. And I did say to him, I said, look, you know, because i got my gem scouts and stuff like that. I gave him a name of a striker in non-league that I thought, you know, if we'd been in League One again, we probably would have taken them in League One. Mm-hmm. And I said to Ryan, get on to your owner and get him to buy the striker because I'm convinced he would score 25 goals League Two level and, and win you the title. And I said, you know, it might cost you three, four hundred grand over a few years, but a club your size with the gates you have, that's a piece of piss. Yeah. But that's the but I, I I know Ryan was he only had, I think, a budget for a loan signing or a free signing, so it was a difficult one. You know what I mean? In fairness, he knew the player. So he, you know, he done his research, but um, yeah, that, that striker for me would have guaranteed you the title. Yeah, it's one of those things. I think we're we're living sustainably, which you know, on one hand, is um, it's a good position to be in, but on the other hand, you know, sometimes maybe you need to push the boat out a little bit, and it's not that big of a risk when you look at the the income that we can generate from the crowds that we would get. If I was getting seventeen, eighteen thousand, trust me, yeah, absolutely. So you got the income. And I think because Ryan's done such a good job bringing your wage bill down at such a manageable level, like I said, it's that one special player you sometimes need. So you have to, as owners, push the boat out and go, you know, we didn't want to break our budget. We want to run it sustainably. But you know what? 
we might have to put in an extra 200 grand just for this one signing. Because that one signing, if that gets you up, the difference in revenue, you know, if that striker scores 25 goals, straight away, he's worth double, triple what we paid. You know, yes, the downside is if he turns out to be a pile of shit, you've lost 200 grand. And I go like this, 200 grand versus probably 2 million, 3 million is the difference in promotion income to League One. I'll take that bet every day of the week in a casino. Yeah, it's all about your risk reward. 100%. 100%. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you're happy with with, the, with Robinson coming in? Um, well, we'll see. You know, he's got to, he's, he's been to a number of different clubs. Um, you know, I remember back in the day, he was certainly um, half decent, you know, and that was a long time ago. Honestly, I don't have an opinion. I want to see him, you know, see him prove himself, if you will. Did he play on Saturday? He came on the last 10 minutes. Um, so we didn't really, you know, had one chance in injury time, put it over the bar, but it was a tough chance. So we didn't really get the chance to, uh, to show anything. How'd you play on Saturday? It was a frustrating one. So we drew one all with Walsall. Um, it was one of those where, you know, you one nil up and it's pretty easy and then they just get a goal out of nowhere. Um, and then the next minute they had a man sent off. And so what, 43 minutes down and they're down to 10 men. And it was like, if they'd have had 11 men, we'd have probably walked it. We were that dominant. But, you know, they got the 10, they went down to 10 men, went into halftime two minutes later, had the chance to reorganize. They just built a wall, you know, at the back. Resilient. Yeah. And we just weren't creative enough. I mean, we just kept lumping it in and, you know, the center backs said, you know, keep heading it back out. And it was a bit like tennis. And you just thought, you know, try something different, but it just kept on coming in and kept on coming back out again. And you brought your kids. Yes. Obviously, they're full Bradford fans now, buying all the strip. Had a good day. (laughs) Did Ryan look after you? Did you get your good tickets? Yeah, we got tickets, you know, and good tickets in the main stand. And, um, you know, we have, um, yeah, the kids wanted our kitting out, so spent an arm (laughs) and a leg in the shop. Um, So, um, you know, we, they had a great time. They were jumping and cheering and, uh, and everything so they really get into it when they're when they're in the live stadium you know watching on iFollow not so much because I guess it's just hard you know especially when you're young they're only eight and the, the eight and five yeah but w- when they're in the stadium they love that atmosphere yeah oh, good good that's what it's all about next gen you know what I mean are, are you going to four games before you go home yeah so we got Salford on Saturday uh so we're going to go to Salford and then we've got another home game against Barrow and the kids are going to be mascots for that oh brilliant so you're traveling away to Salford's yeah, that's not too far, is it? No, it's like an hour and a quarter, something like that. Yeah, perfect. And then, and then the kids are obviously going to be the uh, mascots then for the Barrow game. Yeah. So, no, two good games, right? Two juicy games. Yeah, you know, the Salford one, I mean, they've had a really bad start to the season. Um, and, you know, knowing us, they'll, they'll have a good chance to arrest that. That's usually what happens. Um, have some confidence. But, yeah, but let's see. Maybe we'll be uh, the final nail in Gary Bowie's... Uh, uh, coffin because things haven't been going so well for them this season and then barrow i mean it's easy to say oh it's only barrow but they've had a decent start they won three nil away at oldham at the weekend mark cooper's a good manager to be mm-hmm. fair he's done a good job to be fair so like i said he's a, he's a competent manager and uh you, you know your suttons and your barrows of the world and your harrogates who are flying in front i mean they're top too. harrogate are top right yeah, yeah 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 but they're getting they're showing you you know it's not always about crowds budgets yeah you know wages you know and that's that's the beauty about our pyramid so you know things you love to see you know a bradford city fan sweating about going to barrow right or playing barrow at home that's that's just, just the wonderful thing about the efl 
Well, yeah, I mean, last year, Harrogate did the double over us. I mean, they're, there you go. they're 20 minutes up the road from where I live. Um, and, you know, you always go past there thinking, you know, a little non-league club. Um, and now, you know, the top of uh, League Two and deserve every bit of that. And, Brilliant. Brilliant. and did the double over us last year. Brilliant. Yeah, I guess that's when you look at the National League, half that National League probably good enough to be in League Two and maybe even some higher than that. The wages they're paying, absolutely. So, you know, mental, obviously, Wrexham have suddenly decided they're going to go for it. And, you, you know, whoever's obviously in there running it for, um, you know, Ryan Reynolds and his partner, you know, I, I'm a little bit worried for them, do you know what I mean, with some of the things like the deals they're trying to buy and they're buying league one center halves, they're doing whatever. But look, right. as long as it works, it's fine. When it doesn't, you know, you get a bad taste. And this is what can happen with foreign owners sometimes. If you get people in, football people, who go in, and you're you know, a foreign owner, if you don't know, because I don't think, you know, Deadpool knows a lot about football. So, you, you know, as my son loves Deadpool. And they go in and they get these people, so-called experts in to run a club. And if they end up overdoing it, and it leaves a bad taste if they don't get promoted, mm-hmm. the owners then get tired and the owners can get pissed off. And then they start going off, oh, I'm not as interested anymore. And then what happens? Do you know what I mean? So there's always that fear, but uh, but they've made some very good signings. I'd say that, that's for sure. Some very, very good signings. and. Uh, you, you know, you'd like to think they're going to win that league. Now, with the bottleneck that is a national league, though, with only two going up, you know, would that be somewhere where you'd want to put your money if you're investing in a club to grow, or would you be looking at somebody that's already in the that's already League Two at least? Because there's because there's so many clubs available. Why would you bother? Unless it was like a Bradford fell into non-league by some miracle, then you'd be all over it because it's like, hang on, you know, this is the biggest club that's like been in non-league. You know, you probably say Luton was one of the biggest clubs that was mm-hmm. in the league. Look how long it took them to get out, even though they've had like a, a you know miracle rise since then. So now, if I was buying a club, you'd be League Two all day long. You wouldn't go fucking near the National League. Yeah, you know, not a chance. Look, good luck to whoever pays and buys clubs there. But my God, it's a graveyard for uh, Notts County. Mm-hmm. I mean, Notts bloody. County. And they've been there years now. I want to say that Notts County have been there three years, three, four. Three or four years at least, you, and you got Christ. like the Stockports and the Chesterfields, and I mean, I think I read Wrexham have been fourteen years down there. Stockport were our rivals, yeah. You know, when I when I bought a posh, you know, and, and Stockport with Jim Gannon, got promoted, promoted with us. They were up there, top eight in League One, magnificent club. We had some great rivalries, you know. You know, I go back to like Wrexham again. You know, when I came in, you know, I took Darren Ferguson off Wrexham. He was like their player, so I hired him as a player coach, and we had to pay like a five grand fee. But again, Wrexham, bigger club than Peterborough, you know what I mean? In, in that respect, and, and I've done a lot better things, you know, bigger things. Tranmere, just before I came in, they were in the championship. Plymouth, top 12 of the championship. I mean, yeah, look, we know what the pyramid's like. You know, Bradford were probably in the Premier League when I bought Bosch. Yeah, well, we were Premier League 2000, 99, 2000. So I, 15, 15 years, 2005, 2006. Yeah, we? we were probably just going bankrupt for the second time. You know, we basically went from Premier League to League Two in seven years um and we went bankrupt twice along the way right so you're probably in league two then with us mm-hmm. uh, Stuart McCall was your manager because you beat us so always remember that we hired Stuart as um you know it was too young really to or too inexperienced probably but we needed something to try and try and whenever we need something to, to galvanize uh the club it's you know pick up the phone to Stuart <laughs> Yeah, no, Matt. But uh, the one thing that was funny this weekend was there wasn't a lot of games on, was there? No. I mean, I, I want to say it was only three in League One. How many were in League Two? I mean, there just wasn't a lot of football games on. Yeah, there were three three in League One, 
we had um, a full complement except for Colchester against Sutton that was postponed. So it was mostly League Two. So League One was Accrington beating Shrewsbury, Accrington going top, uh, Wimbledon beating Oxford, and then Cheltenham and MK Dons drawing. Yeah, um, the, the the Wimbledon one, like I said to you, I tipped them as a dark horse, didn't I? At the start of the season, I said, like, they got some good young players, they got a really good coach from their youth, and, and they're buying into it. They're back at play lane, properly now, fans. You know, a lot of exciting things are happening, which I'm happy about because I think they're a magnificent football club and, and run very well. Um, good luck to Akron and Stanley. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, we, we, we all know that their owner, we don't always see eye to eye, but, you, you know, their manager always seems to work miracles and, and, and gets the best out of them. So, you, you, you know, they're flying at the top of League One. Wow, brilliant. Did you have a nibble for one of their strikers on Dead Iron Day? Uh, look, I, 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 you know, I would never talk about another club's players. We, we finally got the midfielder we've been waiting weeks for, and everyone knows who it was. And, and the problem there was West Ham had told us, we were originally buying him, and then the player, you know, wanted it. The player did very well pre-season with West Ham. Mm-hmm. So that kind of scuppered the buy thing. So then it became, okay, let's get him on loan, you know, because we know he's a very talented young player. And we've done a lot of research. We've watched him. I spoke with Jack Collison, his ex-coach, is now in America. We coached him at the West Ham youth level. Mm-hmm. We spoke with Jack Taylor, who's played with him at Ireland under 21 level. So we we liked him as one of our four central midfielders. So we've been kind of playing so far the first five games of the season with two central midfielders. You know, Jack Taylor's been out and we haven't had the fourth in. So we haven't had that depth in that department. The reason we had a nibble for a striker was a few reasons. Obviously, Jono and Jack Marriott still catching up on their fitness. I'm hoping they're going to be different animals the other side of the international break. And we had a behind-the-doors the game on Friday, and the running numbers were excellent from all the players involved. But, but I believe the scoreline was 6-1, and Schmodox and Marriott scored two hat-tricks. All right. And, uh, and they were it was a front three of Randall, Schmodox, and Marriott. And I believe Randall was sensational. It wasn't the under-10s they were playing, was it? No, they, the squad played each other. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was a mix of the squad playing each other. So it was the strongest, like, you know, I think the manager mixed and matched the team. Like, I think on one team was Sammy and Marriott and Randall. On the other team was Dembele, Jono, and another player behind them. Yeah. And I think I want to say, you know, again, you were like, Ronnie Edwards is in the team that won. Yeah. You know, and I won't say some of the defenders are, you know, who are in the other team, but I think it was 6-1. So, and it was a full-on, I got all the statistics. They were running 11 clicks in the game. You know, good half of the players, so that was good for their for their fitness and confidence. Confidence, fitness, minutes. We've got another twenty three game this week. I believe a few of them will be playing on that again. So for us, the reason we looked at it was Jono's got a hearing coming up. It was tweets he sent out when he was seventeen. We don't know if that's going to be a game ban or a two game ban. The FA are in this place where they're going after fourteen year olds for tweets. It's insane. Seventeen year olds for tweets, and yeah, that, that's a story of another day. Jacks, you know, as we know, uh, hasn't played for a long time, so we're getting him back to fitness. Dembele stayed, thankfully, and then Ricky's obviously out with a with MCL injury until November, December. So what we were looking at was a bit of insurance for Jono, and we were looking at more of a not necessarily a, an out and out goal scorer, but more physical player. You know, against the teams like Cardiff, when Jono came off, we didn't have an outlet that could hold the ball up, so we were kind of looking for maybe that plan B, but you know. And of course, I always back the manager. My partners were on board. It wasn't uh, we must sign a striker. It was if the right one became available, because you don't want to go signing players for the sake of it. If the right one became available, we'll do it. 
And the right one, we thought, came, became available until the price just kept going up, 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 and up because it was me calling. And I knew that, you know, the minute it was me calling, I was like, this is getting silly. We made an incredible offer in, in a pandemic because if you look at all the fees and the deals that were done, um, you, you know, the market for me outside the Premier League is in a recession. The football market is in a recession. And you could see that in the deals. Bar Fulham, there wasn't anyone else in the champs. You know, we probably spent more money than most teams in the champ. And, you know, obviously we were looking for this striker. It was a league one striker. It wasn't a prolific goal scorer, but we were getting quoted like nearly two million, two million pounds. Now, I respect the other club doing that because we've done that with our strikers. But when I quote big numbers for strikers, they're usually strikers that score 30 goals a season, you know, not eight or nine. But everyone can demand their own price and good luck. And at the end of the day, the great news there is these so-called little clubs who can turn down big offers and seven-figure offers, they can't play poor mouth anymore. Right. They certainly can't say, well, we've got no money and blah, blah, blah. Because they can afford to turn down those kind of deals. That means they're in great shape and that's a credit to their owner. So fair play to their owner. Um, you know, there was a price, but we didn't want to, we were, I was never going near the price. And it was going on all day and we were talking backwards and forwards and it got to the stage where we needed to do a medical. And nowadays when you pay big money, like medicals aren't just a 10 minutes, check your knee and tickle your bollocks and make sure everything's fine. You're talking x-rays, tests, and it just got to the point where no. And I was never going to go to that figure. You know, we, we had a figure in mind. Now, the deal we offered would have risen very, very substantially. You know, it had a sell on. It was an incredibly good deal. Um, but look, they said no. I respect that. And uh, yeah, in the end, we pulled away. And really, there wasn't anything else there that was exciting enough to go, we're going to go get that player. Um, it would have just been a, a token signing. Yeah. That would have been bad recruitment. It would have led to a bad decision. Uh, you know, what you can't do with a squad of very good footballers is bring in something or someone that's not as technically good enough as them, who they're going to see in training, and that is the standard they're going to look at and go, we're signing that kind of player. Right. You know what I mean? Like The one we were after, he would have complimented what we do, and the other players would have, would have bought into that. But if we'd gone after another one and someone that we hadn't done enough due diligence on or enough scouting them for my gems, and I wasn't, that would have been bad. You know, we, we've had a really good dressing room for 20 months. So it's really important. Every every bit of recruitment we do is the right bit of recruitment, you know. So, yeah, I said to the manager, did he want another defender? And he was adamant he didn't because what he's really worried about is like, how does he get all these players in, in the squad? You know, Beavers is back in four or five weeks. You know, he played Butler there against um, West Brom and he was excellent at centre-back. And we have young Ronnie. We've got Josh Knight, who's not in the team. You know, and all of a sudden, then Beavers comes back and you're like, wow, and you signed another one. you got four of them. You can only get two of them in the squad day as a sub. And then you got two not involved. So he was very, very, not worried, but he didn't want to end up with, he's got all these footballers running around. And it's a position where once you get established, you know, you're not going to get, unless you have a nightmare, you're not, you're not going to rotate players around. Correct. You don't use you. When you have a setback three or you whatever, last season, we played probably 90% of our games, if not 95% with the same back two or back three. So, so you, you know, the only one I'd say would be Ronnie would probably break in quite soon into our team. And, and, and then, again, he'd be set for as long as he's fit. So it's one of them where, yeah, we were like, you know what? No, there's no need for this. We want the central midfielder. We're going to do that tick. And we got that done. And, and fair play, West Ham were brilliant. David Moyes is really good about it. And then, obviously, then the striker, yeah, it just got daft in the end. And we were just like, no, no. It's just, it would look like a panic buy. And, you know, I'm not going to do that. So we didn't lose anyone. 
you know, we had nibbles from Dembele's agents. They were fucking, I think they were getting the tin tack the day after because they didn't get him a move. So they were like stalking me night and day the day before, the day of, you know, even last minute, would you take this? And I said, I've told you from day one, don't waste my fucking time. You know, it's stupid offers. And, and there was some clown, I don't know where he was from, a, one of the radio outlets going around saying that Dembele was available for two million and two and a half million. And it's the, swear to God, the biggest load of bollocks. Yeah, I turned down during the window verbal approaches at two and a half why would i then take less come deadline day it made no difference and by the way those offers i verbally turned down were before he scored two and three appearances in the championship why the fuck would i you know so we were comfortable he doesn't want to sign a new contract to player that's fine and um, we're okay with that and um, we'll let him play do you think that's going to change no 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 he he, he he sees himself playing for a top top championship club fair enough i respect that thing I'd say to him is, well, then make sure you're available for training. Make sure you're available to play every week. Make sure you're in the team every week. Then you will play for a top championship side. You know, we're playing West Brom on a TV and he doesn't train on a Thursday. I know what my manager's like. He's not going to pick a player that's not available to train on a Thursday and a Saturday. He killed us because you're thinking he's on TV, he scores a hat trick. He's got his move. Well, someone's going to give you six, seven million for a championship striker with four or five goals after four or five games. You know, it's 24. Uh, and, you know, it didn't really, because I was kind of glad, because I think we need him. I think the value in having him for the season while we establish ourselves is better than a, a three, four million net after a sell-on to whoever, you know, we buy, we bought him from. So I actually think, and my partners were agreed with this, we need to establish ourselves in the league. You know, if we're going, going really well, and we think we will be, and someone offers us three million in January, which they could, because again, even a player with six months left, if he's got 10, 12 goals, someone wants him, They'll still pay millions for him. You know, we'll make the decision in January. You know, but again, because we kept him, that that's why I didn't want to go overboard on the player we were looking at in League One, um, you know, as a striker. Um, so, yeah, so I'm hoping he stays fit and he gets his head down and, and, he, and he proves to everyone he's a top, top championship striker. Now, does the club that has a sell-on with him get in your ear at all about the fact that, you know, if he goes for nothing at the end of his contract, then they lose out on that? Or is that, you know, is when that happens, is that, you just, you know, you're not really talking about it. Sure, of course they did. That's business. I think we are, I, I, I want to say Grimsby we are owed like 20%, might be a bit more. So of net of what they've already, you know, we've paid them. So if he went for, you know, 4 million or 5 million, whatever, of course there's a seven day payday for them. So they were probably devastated. Um, but they've got new owners, I think. So, um, but no, they don't get in our ear. I mean, if, if there was a deal on the table and we felt, look, we need it to be better. We might contact them and say, look, we'll do a deal, but you've got to take a bit less, otherwise we'll keep them. So those conversations can happen. But no, they, they didn't get in our ear. You know what I mean? If it was the previous owner, he might have rang Baz about it, but no, they, they, there was never a, a big conversation. But look, truth be known, I'm kind of happy that he's still here. Uh, and you know what? His best way of getting everything he wants is being our best player. So, you know, he's shown in glimpses this season he can be. Now I need him to be fully fit and it. And when he's fully fitting at it, I think he's unplayable. You know, it was a real shame he only got 25 minutes against West Brom. Because I think if he'd started that game, it could have been a different outcome. Now, when we look at the rest of the transfer deadline um, day, your boys Liverpool not really splashing the cash again, as we've talked about expecting them not to. But it seems like they're just kind of happy with their lot and they're going to take the chances that Klopp can keep them in the top four. Yeah, I said it on Sky Sports deadline day. I did the show and then... You know, when you as a Liverpool fan, you look at cities getting Grealish, you know, and you look at Lukaku to Chelsea, you look at United getting Sancho, 
Varane, Ronaldo. You, you look at some of the business, even, you know, an Aston Villa went out and spent 110 million or whatever and three or four, including on a, you know, Danny Ings, he'd score 20 goals. I mean, geez, I wish we kept him. And then you look at Liverpool and you, my stress has always been, you get to January, like last year, you're in a really good place and then you lose Mane and you lose uh, Salah to the, the, the Africa, I forget what it's called now, the Nations of Africa Cup or African Nations African Cup. Nations, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they go off and then you lose for a few games, but one of them gets hurt or one of them gets injured. Or Naby Keita's just gone away and I believe his country is under uh, military rule at the moment. He can't get back and the game's been called off. So you're always worried about you're an injury. In that area particularly, we had it last year defensively. Now we've got like eight defenders, you know, who can play central defense. In attack, you've got as backup, you've got Divock Origi, Minamino, and I forget who the other one is, but let's just say none of them fill you with confidence to go out and beat a Chelsea. We couldn't beat a Chelsea with our proper front three. So none of them fill you with confidence. So the idea that we're going to win the league, you know, I, I, I would bow to Jurgen Klopp if we won the league this year. What he did two years ago was incredible. But these players were two years younger. They were new into with him for a couple of years. They're now four years in. Some of them are the other side of 30. To go nearly a whole season without losing a game, you have to be at the peak of your powers. I watched the Chelsea game. Mane's, for me, is now gone the other way. He was poor last season. He's you know, poor against Chelsea. Firmino got injured. I've said he's been done for a year. And then you got Salah. So Jota, I love. But again, has he ever had a full season without an injury? So you worry about the depth. Then today you read Harvey Elliott has pulled out of the England under 21 games with an injury. Naby Keita stuck in Papua New Guinea. And I want to say there was someone else there that also pulled out of a game that was Liverpool. So you're thinking to yourself, Christ, Firmino could be out for a few weeks with a hamstring injury. You know, Fenway are crazy. I said last year, the gamble of not getting a defender in with 60, 70 million in Champions League, it came down to our goalkeeper scoring a goal and getting us in the Champions League. And they're going to throw that again this season and roll with it, praying that they're going to make the Champions League. If they don't make the Champions League, it's catastrophic. Because when you come out of it, like Arsenal, it's tougher to get back in. And other clubs are strengthening. And the biggest fear is players won't want to stay. Mo Salah, in his 30s, doesn't want to play at a club that's not in the Champions League. With all due respect, Fabinho, you ask him. You know, does Virgil van Dijk not want to play Champions League football in his 30s? Because he's now turned the other side of 30. So you, once you come out of there, it suddenly becomes very problematic. So I, I question Fenway are, are owned by billionaires. They have a valuation of, I think, six, seven billion dollars. To not be able to give Klopp 60, 70 million when they've had two years in a row where they've had a net surplus in spending, to not generate that kind of money, to go and get him two players, you know, a, a, a Wijnaldum replacement and one maybe more forward, even if that forward costs 60 million whatever it might cost. To not go and do that, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. It's all down to Jurgen again. So who had the best window? The best window for me, Chelsea. Mm-hmm. I think Chelsea's an incredible window. I think they moved players out. They brought a lot of money in. I think they brought in some very, very good players. I thought it brought in you know, one of the best number nines in the world who's made for the way they play. Um, I think Tuchel's an incredible manager. Um, I think the signing they made... Um, from the Atletico Madrid, the boy on loan, is a typical Chelsea deal. I wish Liverpool could have done that in an area we need strengthening in. Um, I'd say his name. I'll say his first name, Saul. It's always a surname that I always pronounce (laughs) wrong, even though I lived in Spain for like fucking 20 years. Um, But he's a very good player. He's had a poor year and a half, but he's got quality and class in there. I would have liked Liverpool to have got Renato Sanchez 
the boy who played for Portugal in the summer was magnificent. He plays at Lille, I believe. They won the league last year. He's had a resurgence. I think there was a deal to be done there for 30, 40 million, but you could have loaned him in with an option to buy. I don't know why Liverpool, he's a Liverpool player for me. Um, Chelsea have had a magnificent window. I think Manchester United, very good signings, but I've always said their manager, will, they'll never win a title where he's manager. So they can sign all the players they want, but they won't win the league. I think if, if Jurgen Klopp managed United, they'd win the league. If Guardiola managed United, they'd win the league with the players they've signed. They're ready to win now. Um, believe it or not, I like some of Arsenal's business, even mm-hmm. though Arteta's getting hammered left, right and centre. I believe they've signed players that in the next 24 months could be incredibly good. Um, quietly, I think Tottenham have signed again some good young players. And they're building the defence around Nuno, who's a very defensive-minded manager. He's kind of he's kind of Mourinho circa 2006, 2007. Um, don't be surprised if Spurs have an outside run at Champions League. You know, and, and of course it's easy to say another top of the league, they haven't conceded a goal, but look, the season hasn't even got up and gone. But I, I, I do rate him. I think he could be, yeah, they could be the dark horses for me. Man City, of course, the Grealish signing was big, but I thought it was poor they didn't sign a number nine. Yeah, I think that they were probably surprised that they didn't get Harry Kane as well. I'm sure that they'd put their their money on that, hadn't they? Yeah, yes, yes. But I mean, you, you say that, but they would have known three weeks out when you know Levy, Daniel Levy wasn't answering the call um, with everything going on. To not have a plan B, I was very surprised at Man City. And if plan B was Cristiano Ronaldo, that was bad advice because he was never going to go to Man City. So I am a bit shocked at that one. And then you look at Griezmann going from Barcelona to Atletico. I know, right? For basically an obligation to buy for 40 million euros. Well, why didn't Liverpool go get a Griezmann? Yeah. You know, you know. again, you got one of the best forwards in the world. Um, you know, how did that business happen last minute? Unless he didn't want to leave Spain. Who knows? But again, you look at that business and think, wow. Yeah, it's just a Barcelona fire sale. One million percent. I mean, one million percent. Can you imagine last year, Liverpool had gone and got Luis Suarez back? who went to Atletico Madrid for free and won the title. Imagine if they'd gone and said, look, we're going to get Suarez as insurance for our front three. Can you imagine that kind of sensational business and him showing at Atletico with the season he had that he was still, you know, Suarez's game was never based on pace, by the way. So it doesn't matter if he's 30 fucking two or 33 or 34. He's just a clever player. I mean, ask a Liverpool fan, would you rather Diva Carigi coming in your 11 or Luis Suarez at 35? I think I know the answer. Yeah, and as we've seen with uh, Ronaldo, you know, the commercial impacts and implications of buying a Pay player like that as well. Yeah, I mean, imagine Suarez coming back. Uh, I think just in short, shirt sales, it's probably going to pay his wages. It would have been sensational. And I know it goes against, you know, um, the Fenway Group strategy of buying young. But, you know, that one world-class player, even who's passed pass by a year or two, who would still come off the bench, who would still back up your front three, who could still go and destroy Chelsea in a game if he wanted to. Do you know what I mean? It would cost them nothing because, as you said, it would have paid for itself with shirt sales, you know, and the sponsorship. So, yeah, uh, you look at it and you think Fenway might have dropped. They dropped the, the they dropped it last year with the defenders and not giving them the backing, and they got away with it. I don't think you're going to have to look twice. Now, um, you mentioned that uh, you haven't really followed the international scene that much over this weekend, but I do have to ask you about Ireland. Sure. Um, you know, you almost beat Portugal with a couple oh, of late goals from Ronaldo um, and then struggled against Azerbaijan and I think got a late equaliser. I met the manager of Ireland last week at the Cardiff game mm-hmm. and he came over to me. He actually, he was there scouting and he actually came over to seek me out and say, you know, it's great what you've done at Peterborough. I've watched you guys a lot. You know, he's called up Schmodricks, he's called Jack Taylor up. 
you know, now we've obviously got Connor Cover, Coventry, who's Irish. And I'm gutted for him. It's not worked. You know, they haven't won for 10 or 11 games with him as manager. Um, he's obviously trying to change, you know, things. And it needs changing in Ireland. There's too many veterans hanging around still. You know, we're not qualifying for the World Cup. Get rid of anyone over the age of 31 now. By the time the next championship comes around, they're going to be 33, 34. They're not going to play. Fucking clean them out. Send them off to retire. There's no point in having them anymore. The problem with Ireland is against Portugal, he played McGrath from Scotland, who played as a 10, did very well, and he didn't play him against Azerbaijan. And, you know, we put Parrot in instead, I think. Conley, as much as he's a great young player for Brighton, doesn't score enough goals. For a player of his quality, the chances he gets for himself because of his pace and his running down ability, something is not right with his finishing. And that's something Brighton are going to have to improve because he's not doing it for Brighton either, goal scoring wise. When it when he does crack it, because I think there's a player in there, we tried to get him, we tried to buy him a few years ago. Um, I think he's going to be a magnificent player. But right now, he, he just cannot, he's not prolific enough. Robbie Keane at his age is probably scoring more goals. And, and, and Ireland don't have that Robbie Keane anymore. Your Robbie Keane would get you your 1 0 win against Germany, would get you your goals against the shittier teams in the world here. With all due respect, Azerbaijan, you should be turning those fuckers over. Who did we lose the last time out? I think we lost, was it Luxembourg beat us? Yeah, I mean, you're five, you're five points off Luxembourg in the table right now. That's what I mean. When Luxembourg are ahead of you and beating you and whatever else, it's time to really press the reset button. So I'm gutted because I love them. When I met the manager, and I've been very critical of him in the past, I liked what he was saying. His record with Dundalk before he became manager was unbelievable with the under-21s, and it's not happening for him at the moment. And I watched the Portugal game, funny enough, because I was still in England when that was on. And I watched the great Ronaldo do what he does. We, we held our concentration for 89 minutes and 90 minutes. And then for five minutes, we fell to pieces. And Ronaldo does what he does best. Is the the current setup, are they the right folks to, to clean up shop? Well, you've got, you've got a decision to make because he hasn't won for 10 or 11 games. It's not working. You've now blown qualification for the World Cup. You didn't get to the Euros when everyone else fucking did. Every dog and his sister got to the Euros. Um, so you now have a decision to make. Are you going to back him and go, look, Stephen, we're going to back you through the next five games, but you have to start winning. But we also want you to get rid of the older players. Like, it's time to retire a few of them. It's time to go now and, and properly throughout. It's like, you even had James McLean coming off the bench. You, you know, with all due respect, he's dropped down into League One. You know, and he's coming off the bench late on. Ireland's got some good young attacking players. They've got the boy at Southampton that's, I think, now been sold to Swansea. They've got the boy... Um, at Norwich, who did very well but hasn't scored the goals. They got Aaron Connolly, they got Troy Parrott, he's on loan from Tottenham at MK Dons. You got Schmodix in our team, you got Jack Taylor, Connor Coventry. You've got a dirt of young talent coming through. So now, hire, you know, bring in a young captain. Seamus has been there for a long time. How well is he going to be at the next championships? And press the reset button and go again. Because I, I do believe we have enough talent. I'm not sure about the manager. I'd love him to succeed, but he's under immense pressure. I watched his interview after the Portugal loss and it was like, yeah, it was it was not good. You could just feel for him, you know, everything that he's gone through. Got him. So I want a couple of other things to ask you and then we're going to go into the questions that we have uh, this week. Um, first of all, on speaking of Ronaldo, um, that's, there's a big debate about the blackout. Everyone complaining that they don't get to see Ronaldo play because it's three o'clock on a Saturday. I get to see it. I, I went to watch <laughs> it if I wanted to. I'm going to tape it because I'm in America here. So I'm watching a posh game. I'll watch that afterwards, you know, I'll tape it. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously, we did away with it last year with iFollow during the pandemic, didn't we, where fans could watch on a Saturday afternoon and whatever else. I think at this stage, yeah. I mean, you know, 
are people going to stay at home and watch on TV and not go? Away? The whole idea of the blackout is to, is to preserve the gates, right. the live gates, correct? Yep. So, you know, the question would be, will that Newcastle United game be affected attendancy-wise if it was on TV at 3 o'clock on Saturday? I'm not sure it would be a problem. So, you, you, you know, the Premier League's a product. It's an entertainment product. And I think they dropped the ball there. And I, I actually didn't know. I said to Sky Live on the transfer window, I said, you guys showing the Newcastle Man United game? There was a silence in the studio. You know what I said? It was not. So we all want to see Ronaldo come back. But no, and Oli, he'll probably bring him on as a sub for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> now, would you worry about people not buying posh tickets because they're staying at home to watch Man United on TV? Um, for lower league football, would I worry? No, we've got a pretty much a hardcore fan base. You know, I know that we're always in the championship with a way we're always going to get 10 to 11,000. You know, would I worry in League One or League Two? Maybe. So you're absolutely right. Maybe that's the point. You know, it stop people going to Bradford. They don't want to watch United. But then again, the hardcore fans always come, don't they? Um, you know, and, and everyone's been without football for so long. So I don't know. But look, right now, if there's a, if there's a chance that having not having a blackout would affect lower league attendances, then I'm all for a blackout. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really the intention of it um but yeah give me bradford versus barrow over uh, ronaldo walking out to old trafford yeah. <laughs> you just don't want your missus seeing him with his top off that's right, the problem that's <laughs> <laughs> as i say to my missus don't be following that fellow on instagram <laughs> he looks like i did at 18 <laughs> that's incredible that uh, i mean that's we talked about it last week that's the dedication to his craft isn't it listen listen you know what we're we're living in an era where him and messi you know, are showing, you know, that the sands of time, you, you know, it doesn't affect them. And, and knowing Ronaldo, he'll play till he's 40. And I would imagine we'll see Ronaldo in America in the MLS ripping it up, breaking records in the MLS when he's 40, 41. He's like the Tom Brady of football. With his eyes closed in MLS. Yeah, with, with his eyes closed, you know what I mean? So, um, you know what? Anyone who dedicates that much time to their craft deserves to play for as long as they want. And he is relentless in the pursuit of perfection. And getting that record against Ireland, even though I'm Irish, I was glad he got the record. You know, it was an Iranian who had the record before. Yeah, that. Ali Dai. Yeah, Ali Dai, whatever. But in fairness, Lukaku ain't fucking far behind. And, and Lukaku's got 50 international goals in his last 50 appearances. And he's 29, 28. So you'd think a target man plays probably into his mid-30s. So I dare say that, you know, he could end up pipping Ronaldo. So I may be late to the party on this, but I finally got to listen to the Roy Keane and Gary Neville interview that they did. Um, (laughs) I saw on YouTube, I think it may have been on Sky as well. Yeah, Uh, but it was Yeah, really interesting to watch. One of the things that stood out to me that I actually wanted to ask you about was they were having a conversation about like why Roy hasn't got a job in management and he's been trying to get a job in management and and Gary Neville kind of suggesting, well, you know, you're not kind of playing the game. You're not putting yourself out there and you're not being in the circle, if you will. And I just wondered, is is there a, a circle, you know, of those that are in the ears of owners who are just waiting for the job to come up? Like other things that ex well, I guess ex managers or or wannabe managers are doing that is putting them to the front of the queue that folks like a Roy Keane aren't necessarily playing the game. Uh, the problem with Roy, Roy frightens people. Like I love him as a pundit. Uh, would he frighten me as a manager? No, but I know I'd have a lot of rounds with him because he's just that type of personality. Like, you know, when he was at Sunderland, he did well at the start. And then it got to the stage where I think the Sunderland owner wants him to live closer to the ground because he was traveling. And his response was, well, why don't you live closer to the ground? Because the owner lived in America. Well, with all due respect, you can't speak to your employer like that. 
it's not on them to live close to the fucking ground. They're not coaching and managing the team every day. So he gets in his own way at times. Uh, and I love him as a pundit. Um, uh, you know, his managerial record everywhere he's been since that Sunderland when he came from the bottom of the championship, won, won the league and got up to the Premier League, hasn't been good. So Martin O'Neill rates him because he's taken him everywhere as his number two. He took him to Ireland, took him to Forest. I think he went to Villa and coached. So he's obviously a very good coach, but I think he gets in his own way. And I think if he got out of his own way as he gets older and had another chance, he might do better. But if he went into a club and it was the same shenanigans and the same, you know, falling out with directors, falling out with the owner, falling out with the press, you know, you know fucking maybe having a fallout with the old player too much. If that follows him again, I don't know how many chances he's got left. And that, that's always the problem. So my advice to Roy would be, go buy a fucking club. You've got enough money. You know, if you want to be a manager again and prove that you can do it, you know, what better pressure to put on yourself? Go buy a football club, put yourself in as manager, and then you don't have to answer to anyone, and, and then show the world you're a good football manager. Um, you know, as regards to managers being, you know, clever and playing it, look, you've got managers who are prickly who can't get out of their own way. You've got an issue with authority. You've got an issue with owners. You've got an issue with whatever. And then you've got other managers who play the game very well. And they might be a bit prickly, or Neil Warnock's to the, the world, but they play both sides very well. And that's why they've lasted the, the, the test of time. It's interesting that Chris Wilder, one of the best managers over the last 10 years, had a problem getting a club this summer. Why is that? It is because of his last year at Sheffield United. People on the outside in looked at it and went, ooh, you're playing games with your owner. You might not have the greatest owner in the world, but you're definitely playing games. You obviously don't want to be there. Um, you, you know, there's obviously something going on. And for me, and I respect him, I think he's a fucking brilliant manager and I tried to get him years ago. I'm not sure he had his best time there. And I think that might have put people off in the summer because a manager as good as him who's won League One, who's won League Two, who's won the Championship, who's got to the Premier League, he had a period of five years where he was the manager of the year every fucking year. He should have been up for as many jobs that were out there. <laughs> he should be walking into whatever job he wants. Crystal Palace. Why didn't Crystal Palace want to hire him? You know, forget about, okay, he had a shit year at Sheffield United. But you know what? If I, all that stuff hadn't happened, where he walked away and it looked like there was a lot of uh, issues between him and the ownership and how he came across in the press, he might have still got a Premier League job. You know what I mean? If, even with a relegation, even if like, okay, we had a really bad season, we lost some key players and, you know, we went down. He might still got a Premier League job. So... Um, and I hope he gets another chance because I think he's a magnificent manager. But again, it's perception. And sometimes managers, and I always say this to them, you know, watch how you come across in the media because you get judged very quickly, you get targeted very quickly, and you get basically uh, stereotyped very quickly. So sometimes you have to be a bit of an actor with how you handle the press. You know, it's funny. One of the things in that Roy Keane-Gary Neville discussion, Gary Neville was saying to Roy Keane about PR, you know, you need to... The, the the managers need to put good need to have good PR to keep yourself in in the minds of some of the owners. Correct. And then it was interesting. I think just today I read uh, a piece about Chris Wilder, an interview with Chris Wilder in the Athletic. So it's like it almost feels like that's part of the PR campaign to um, to change that perception, possibly of what Chris Wilder's last year was. Absolutely, you need good PR. You need a good agent. But what you really need to be is you need to be good at, at the press. If I'm coming out and I'm moaning about my employers. And I'm making excuses. And I'm saying, you know, they're not backing me in the transfer market. I need more players. I need this. I need that. And then I quit. And then I don't want to quit. And then I stay on. And then I quit again. And then they want me to go. And there's issues. That's not good. 
and it's not good perception to the out. And, and, and I get why you're doing it because to the fan base, they adore you and they love you so you can get away with it. But forget the fan base, they're one club. There's another 71 clubs you might want to work for down the line. So you have to manage the situation accordingly. And for me, it never looked right, you know, that season that Sheffield United had. So, yeah, uh, you know, but again, that shouldn't take away from the fact he's a brilliant fucking manager. Brilliant manager. And the irony is, he was a brilliant manager when he was spending a lot less money. And then when it got really tetchy was when he was spending 25 million and 20 million on Brewster and 20 million on a goalkeeper. But when he was building that Sheffield United side in the championship and he was spending a million or half a million or nicking players or making players out of nothing, he was superb. Sometimes the money can spoil everything. You know, do you sometimes, as you recruit, because, you know, you, you're you spending money that a lot of lower league clubs may not have spent, at least on the transfer fees themselves, if not in the wages. You know, as you're looking to recruit, are you looking at, well, this manager's done really well without a budget. Is he actually going to be able to handle a budget? Or how do I consider if he can handle a budget or not? Yeah, yes and no, because I also know we recruit our way. It doesn't change who the, who the manager is. But, of course, you know, I, I had problems with Steve Evans, even though I'm, I'm, I'm close with Steve now and we still talk, because he was always challenging me in every interview he did. I'd signed him 17 players, but every interview I listened to was the chairman knows we need one more player. The chairman knows to the point where I told him, shut the fuck up. Now I told Barry to tell him, shut the fuck up because he's irritating me. You know, we, we went into a weekend with, with Ivan Tony, Matt Godden, and another striker. We had three unbelievable strikers, and he was like having a temper tantrum about because I wouldn't sign Owen Doyle, a 32 year old striker who wanted six grand a week and, you know, for three years. And this was the row we're having, and I just couldn't abide that shit. And I'm sure he's learned from that. Uh, and I'm at the stage in my life where I just couldn't be fucking bothered. And it just, it was too much all the time. We need more players, need more players, need more players. And it's kind of like, fucking shut up. My manager is at a place where he's really mature with it all, where he's not at me to sign five, six players because he knows it's just not realistic. And if you, you know, it's quality, not quantity. And, and some managers need to keep bringing in new players every window because maybe they just exhaust the shit out of the ones they have and they stop listening to them. So the key there is summer get 15 in, January get another 10 in because I'm going to lose them by January. Yeah, they can only, they can only work through my methods for six months before it doesn't work on them anymore. Right, whereas I, I want a manager who we sign a player, he sees a project that he can develop for two years, who's going to do great things for us for two years, and then maybe the player gets moved on for big money. Do you know what I mean? So I want a manager who says, you know what, Chairman, your academy's got five players in there. And I think instead of going out and signing seven, eight new players, We've got five there. We need two or three with them. We're going to bring three of them through now, two of them through in a year. And, and, and there's, a, there's a method to the madness. So everyone's looking for a manager who not... I don't want someone who wants to tow the party line, say like Jurgen's done, who's done brilliantly for Liverpool. I, don't, I want somebody who believes in the process, trusts the process, and works in the process with you, not against you. All right. Well, with that, we'll go into a, a short break, and then we'll come back in a moment with some listener questions. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the pod. We have a couple of listener questions that I'm going to pose to you this week, Dara. The first one is um, from German on Twitter. Um, German says, um, Dara has implied that when posh stay up, he may start looking at foreign targets in a similar way to what Brentford did. Does he think that Brexit could start to become a problem with doing that? Of course, it's going to become a problem. So you've got to look at ways around it within the rules and the, the legalities and, um, you, you know, you're going to have to get permits. Now, it won't become, if you're signing players from France or Spain or Germany, you can get those permits. It's not as tough as signing someone from Brazil that might have to go get parked at 
Belgium and then loaned out and then get a certain you know amount of years in Europe before they can come to the UK. But it won't stop us from scouting those waters and those areas, and we will start doing that next year. So I've already said that we're going to add to the gem team probably a couple of foreign scouts whose job it will be to go around a few of the European leagues. We're going to learn the process through our lawyers of how to get permits and you know permission for people to come over. So it can be done. It will be done. All right, I have a question from um, Dom, who's a Derby, can, a Derby fan. Dom says, firstly, I love the podcast. I guess it's more of a comment. Um, I think that the, as a Derby fan, he's really frustrated with what's going on at Derby and with Mel Morris. Um, I think he says, um, if if Dara says cut Mel Morris some slack one more time, I think my head will fall off, which seems to be a consensus of some of the Derby fans. Um he just said that, you know, we have five EFL charges against us. And now there's a rumored two-year transfer ban about to be placed on the club. Um, I think there's just a lot of frustration at Derby. There is, I think, because Mel, Mel's had obviously a big fight with EFL and he's on the other side of it. And then EFL are probably gunning for him, vice versa. Um, and, and all I was trying to say when I did an interview with a, a Derby podcast was, look, you had an owner who had the playoffs four out of six years. He put $100 million into the club. You know, obviously, bet his bollocks on getting promotion. Who's obviously had a horrible two, three years. And what I was trying to say was sometimes you want your fans with you. When the game gets tough, you've been there for them. You want them with you. And I get it. You know, football's all about winning, not having those issues, not becoming a berry, not going down that route. But as far as I was concerned, of what I knew was he's always paid wages, he's always kept the club afloat. It's never got to the stage where it became a Bolton or became a Wigan. And the charges obviously are very worrying. And the implications of that. So, look, I'm not going to have his head fall off, so I won't say it anymore. You, you, you know, but looking from the outside in, it's a tough situation. But fair play to Rooney; he's galvanised the players, and they've had a solid start. You know, one of the questions that that I thought of as I as I read that from Dom related to Derby is actually related to Oldham. So, you know, we see this weekend, and I'm not sure if you've seen as you've been away. There's been a lot of protests against the owners again, uh, pitch invasion at the game against Barrow. Um, my question is, do protests like that actually achieve anything against the owners? Is it going to make the owners think, you know what, I've put up with all this crap and that's the final straw? Or is it going to kind of embolden them that I'm not going to get pushed around like this? Yeah, I mean, I've got history with the older man, so there's no love lost there. I could give a fuck about him. Um, but it's a good club. and I'm not sure what his MO is or what his end goal is. But whatever it is and his plan is, it's not worked, does it? So when you've managed to piss off, alienate you, the majority of your fan base, you're not doing a good job as an owner. So maybe it is time to find another owner. Um, I'm not sure what what you're waiting for. Um, and, and yeah, if protests are affecting your gates, you know, the best way fans can get rid of you is voting with their wallets. So if they're not buying tickets, if they're not buying commercial stuff, if they're not buying stuff in the shop, what is the fucking point of you being there? It's a bit like being in a marriage where your wife fucking hates your guts. You know, and you're coming home and sleeping in the spare bedroom every night. Do you know what I mean? And, and she doesn't want you in the fucking house. How long are you going to hang around for? So, you, you know, again, I, I don't get it myself. If posh fans turned on me in that way, I'd find a buyer and I'd be fucking out of there. I'd hightail it out of there. Because there's no way I'm going to want to be somewhere where I'm putting my money into and I'm not liked or wanted. Yeah, it's not worth it for you. But then, you know... Your motivation is to be is to enjoy being in the club and and being involved in the club and, and building yeah, and win football games. All right, I have one last question from um, Aiden, who's a posh fan. He asked, uh, "Do you have a plan in place for next season when the terrace 
uh, a London road needs to be replaced? Working on it at the moment. It's an expensive thing. So we are working on it. Even a temporary stand would be ridiculous money. So it's not as easy as we thought to just bolt in some seats. Um, we were very fortunate to get permission because of COVID for this year. So we, we're working on a plan. And the issue is we're moving to a new stadium to go and spend money. It's one of them. So we, I, myself and my partners have an owners meeting next week. We're gonna, that's one of the things on the, on the item list. Um, I think we have November, we have to decide by roughly what we're going to do. Because at the time it will take and the planning it will take. So yeah, it's a frustration. But it's not the end of the world either. All right. Well, that's uh, let's wrap it up for this week. Um, I do want to remind everybody, the Football Content Awards, um, we've been nominated for the best podcast for the EFL. And voting ends on September the 12th, uh, this coming Sunday. So really encourage you, if you like the show, you haven't voted already, please go and do that. You can go to footballcontentawards.com slash voting. Um, and I also wanted to give a shout out for our producer, Henry. He actually co-hosts the MLS UK show and they've been nominated in the international category. So while you're voting oh, for us, that. go and yeah, vote no, for no, Henry no, as no. well. No, 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 no. Henry can be a winner with us. So stop being such a nice guy, Phil. Nice guys finish last. Listen. Um, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll reduce our bill if we can get no, him some votes. I, I, I don't do this podcast for money, but the guys who do it, like Henry, like Rob, like yourself, I want people to vote to win an award for you guys. Not for me, for you guys, because of the work you put in. So if anyone out there is listening and you love it, please go and put 50 votes in each person. Because to get that kind of recognition, you know, for you guys and the sweat, you know, equity that you guys stick into this would be magnificent. And I know Rob's taking his missus to the event, so it'd be great for him to be able to get up and get the award. Henry, I love you, but there's no fucking way I'm voting for your MLS show. I want you to win the award for this show. All right. So get to the stage where we can make enough money through sponsorship where you can dump all the other shows, Henry. So that's where <laughs> we need to be. So if you're listening, fans, reviews, awards, a vote for us because the success of the show depends on it for my engineers and my, my people around me who want to keep doing the show. So get out there and, and go online. It's easy to do and vote as many times as you can. Yeah, footballcontentawards.com slash voting. And of course, any questions that you got, keep sending them over. We've got some that um, we had a few this week that we're uh, going to push over to next week, but keep them coming. Uh, hardtruthfootball.com slash contact. Or of course, on Twitter, um, you can always DM us as well. Great. So, Thanks, guys. That's it. That's a wrap for another week. Mm-hmm.